Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. I want to thank you all for listening. This week's guest is Darren Dushan, a very interesting guy. Before we get to him, I wanted to say thank you for all the people that have written in to say nice things, even the people that have written in to say not so nice things. I love hearing back from listeners. So if you want to write me, you can write me at mike at traveltalespodcast.com. You can check out our homepage at TravelTalesPodcast.com. It is about to go through some major renovations. I'm very excited about it. The stuff I've seen looks amazing, and I promise you that's coming very, very soon. So if you go to the homepage, there are links to uh, Stitcher Radio and iTunes where you can subscribe for free. And hey, I know I've said this all the time, but hey, if you're on iTunes, why not give us a nice rating? That's free, costs you nothing, and boosts our presence and helps people find the show. So that's always a good thing. Subscribe on iTunes, and uh, yeah, we got some great guests coming up. With that being said, this week's guest is Darren Dushan, who is a uh, film producer who I've met. Uh, he's lived a life, let's just say, and uh, found him to be a very interesting guy. I didn't really know him that well before the interview, and uh, I was very impressed with him, and I think you're going to like him as well. So enjoy this episode with Darren Dushan, and keep listening. Thanks, folks. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm here with my guest, Darren Dushan, film producer, Bon Vivant. Can I call you a Bon Vivant? You can. You That's can. a nice title. I've always wanted someone to call me that. <laughs> it is. It is a nice title. Bon it Vivant. Nice. The, the story is funny, like how we met, actually. We met through a, a mutual friend mm-hmm. at a party. Mm-hmm. So I'm at this uh, party. I'm at a barbecue. Our mutual friend, Jim mm-hmm. Herzfeld, who's a big, successful screenwriter, so I'm at this party, and I mentioned to someone that I'm going to Croatia, and you say, oh my God, I've just been to Croatia for a film festival. And uh, you introduced me to our fr- mutual friend Mia, who ran this uh, Dubrovnik film festival, and she totally hooked me up with this uh, awesome trip to uh, Dubrovnik. So I have you to thank for that. Which is a beautiful city. Beautiful. It was amazing. It was amazing. So, uh, And then I get to know you a little better, and then I just run into you last week while we're waiting in line for Stones tickets, which did you get in, by the way? Which neither of us. Neither of us got in. We were late to the ball ball game on that one. So uh, I asked you to be here because I know you work so much overseas. Mm -hmm. So tell me about uh, basically what you do and uh, some of the projects people might know you from. Uh, well, I, I worked. I've, I've worked in entertainment for a long time, but I spent a few years working in the studio for the studios, DreamWorks, Disney, others, and then um, I got a little, a little frustrated with the, with with so the system and the way things were going. And I took about six years off, and I um, was managing global communications for an international NGO. So I was doing work with the Pediatric AIDS Foundation, and I was. Spending a lot of time sub- in sub-Saharan Africa, South Africa, Uganda, Lesotho, Mozambique, Tanzania, Kenya, all over the place over there. Wow. Um, which was great. Amazing. Amazing place. Uh, Africa is one of my favorite places in the world. I've only been to South Africa. So. Which, is, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, I mean, Cape Town is beautiful. Cape Town is I, gorgeous. I spent more time in Joburg. Because that's where the uh, the foundation was doing more of the work, which is not quite as beautiful as Cape Town, <laughs> yeah. but uh, but it's it's an interesting place, and uh, uh, I love Uganda. It's probably my favorite spot over there. But I want to go there. A friend of mine um, had just been throughout Rwanda, mm-hmm. 
and uh, one saw the silverback gorillas up mm-hmm. there. And uh, but I think uh, she also passed through Uganda and said it was it was pretty incredible. What it an is. amazing history it is. And they have you know where where you would have seen the uh, the gorillas in Rwanda north of there on the Ugandan side of the border. They also have uh, a gorilla reserve which you can go see. Which is amazing. I've I've seen them there, but I never made it down to uh, to the Rwandan reserve. Well, how long were you in Africa? I was there at various times for over a period of about five years. Five years. Yeah, but but I was you know a month in the country back, three weeks in the country back, or in the in the continent back. So I was back and forth a lot. So you say you were working for the Pediatric AIDS Foundation. Mm-hmm. So how do you go from Disney? <laughs> <laughs> to well, when I was working for Disney, I was actually, years ago when I was out of college, I um, was dating a girl in San Francisco, and that didn't end well. And so, <laughs> Less I, said about that, the better. I decided to get out of San Francisco. It seemed like a good idea. Mm-hmm. So I went to, uh, I lived, went to live on Bali for a couple of years in Indonesia. Ooh, now we're talking. For a, I went over there as head of production for a U.S. Berkeley-based clothing company called Weeby Bop. Weeby Bop. Yes, and it was at the, it was in the <laughs> mid '90s. You know that this the ethnic batik stuff was the craze, and it was like in, in a, we were in a spree in Macy's, Nordstrom's, Marshall Fields everywhere. And uh, it was it was a great job. I was there for two years. So Bali for two years. Fantastic. So yeah. I was just there a couple of years ago, but. Uh, they didn't seem like a, I don't know. I don't know if it's a business friendly place. I guess maybe. Well, you I, know, their uh, tourism is the, is, is tourism. Kind of a big tourism thing is the thing. I was, I was, I was, I was. At, I opened up my own clothing company there. After being there about six months, I was. Um, I was dating a princess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Now this story just keeps getting better and better. Yeah. So uh, a, ba- a ba- Balinese She was actually princess? from Sulawesi, which is an island just north of Bali. But her family had moved to Bali. She was the youngest of 19. Youngest of 19? Youngest of 19. Wow. And uh, we, she wanted to kind of get out from under the thumb of her very watchful family. And so opening up a business with me and having a place to go to every day seemed like a good idea. So How does one meet a uh, a princess in Bali? Uh predictably we met at a fashion show on a beach. Okay. <laughs> uh, great lovely girl, really lovely. Uh-huh. Yeah. How long did this last? Uh about a year and a half and okay. then she was still going strong but she decided she wanted to move to Italy to experience Italy and I had to remind her that I wasn't royalty and actually had to work. <laughs> and so um, she went off to Italy and I stayed on Bali. Mm, yeah. Do you know what happened to her since? She married. A and, prince? Uh, you know, I do not believe he's, he's, he was a, a Raj. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, he's, uh, he was, he's a photographer, I think. And uh, they, they, I think they have kids and are, you know, a great life over there. So, so in Bali, I, I'm trying to imagine you being there in your 20s mm-hmm. and uh, on an island, the, one of the most beautiful places in the world. Did it really uh, lend itself to working hard? or? <laughs> oh, very, very, very hard. Um, what part of Bali? Were you right in... Uh... I was in Legion, which is um, uh, north of... Like Semenyak. Yeah, yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is... When I was living in, in, on Bali, Semenyak is now sort of, you know, it's the hot spot. It's yeah, I trendy. stayed there one night. There's lots of cool boutique hotels. It's very trendy. And when I was living there, Semenyak was a village. And Legion was pretty much as far north as the as the tourists went. Semenyak was the next stop, and it was I, my house was in a rice field. I mean, there was nobody there. <laughs> but that's all changed now. And then, but it was a little too fast that part of the island. I was getting home 
way too late or early, depending <laughs> yeah, right. on your perspective. And so I moved to a house in Sanur, which is on the other side of that southern you know, tip. And uh, it was a little more family, a little more. I, I, I tried to do, get a little more work done. Locals, yeah, it was. So you great. were trying to get away from the drunken Australians. Yes, no? yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, it, it's a great. It was great. You know, it was it was a beautiful time. It's amazing because when I got there, you know, in the mid '90s, the locals, the expats who'd been there for five, six, ten years, sort of rolled their eyes and said, "Oh, you're you're you know you're five years too late. You should have been here five years ago." Which I think is precisely what anyone who would show up on Bali now would hear. And I, so I think, and I loved it. I had an amazing time. And I think anybody who went there now would have an amazing time. So I think it's, it's, it's all perspective. Okay. So two years in Bali. Yep. And then you're looking at this. Okay. I tried this clothing thing. Yep. And then back to LA? Back to San Francisco, okay. which is where I'd been um, briefly. And then um, uh, I had some family reasons for wanting to be closer to home. So I went back to the Midwest. I'm originally from Iowa. Oh, and, what part? Um, uh, my folks were living in Iowa City at the time, but I grew okay. up near the Quad Cities. Sure. And my, I opened Bettendorf, Moline, yeah, Davenport, Davenport, Rock Island. Rock Island. <laughs> yes. There's the other one. The, the 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 big quad cities. The big quad yeah. cities. I had a friend who went to Augustana there. Yeah, so yeah. Used to go sure, sure. Party there all the time. Sure, yeah. That's a, that's a, that's actually that's a fun school. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that I grew up about twenty minutes from there in a small town. So the quad cities was the big city. So, <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, they must think you're crazy going all the way. First, even to San Francisco must have been a, like a big shock to everybody back. Yeah, home. it's it's yeah. Most of my friends back there that I grew up with are still. In the area, but there's a few that have ventured out. Yeah. They got married in 19. Right, had their first, right, yeah. right, right, right. Their grandparents now. It, it, it's you're. It's actually you're not far. Oh, I know. Oh, oh I know. Yeah, it's actually. Yeah, I, I you know, if some of them have found me on Facebook, <laughs> and it's just it's shocking. Yeah. So back to San Francisco from Bali. Uh, San Francisco back then. I went and I opened up a um, a cafe in Iowa City, University of Iowa, a coffee house cafe, San Francisco style. Sure. And my plan was to have this master plan of opening up Big Ten. I was going to hit Champaign, Madison, Iowa City, Ann Arbor. Uh, I didn't exactly pan out. <laughs> I, I'm not a. I was not meant to be a restaurateur or a cafe owner. Um, but it was a fun place. We were packed every night. Um, so I just hadn't done the math on the fact that students like don't have order any money. Two dollar cup of coffee and then sit for seven yes, hours and watch the Lord of the Rings trilogy yes. on their laptops. Yes. And, yeah. So it was. Well, it was a little before that. Uh, the, the laptops. <laughs> we, there weren't a lot of streaming. So it was free Wi-Fi. Yeah, it was free Wi-Fi. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But they just sat there and just took up space and didn't spend took any up money. space. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I sold that um, um, to a. Um, crazy um, uh, drunken lesbian woman in Iowa City <laughs> who named Bad Betty who had a had a vintage salvage shop next door to my place and she knocked the wall down and made it a vintage salvage shop slash cafe and I think it, it did much better as that <laughs> did you bring a touch of your Bali experience back to Iowa City uh, more of my teak. San, more of my teak. more lots <laughs> of batik yeah uh, more of my San Francisco I think experience it yeah, was exactly the, the bohemian you know, the Iowa City has the Writers Workshop, which is maybe one of oh, arguably yeah. the best, you know, graduate writing program in the country. So there were lots of beatnik poets running around. Who, uh, you know, a beatnik coffee house was 
I was right right in the wheelhouse. (laughs) Again, spending lots of money. Yes. Oh, they love to throw it around, don't those beatniks? Yes. Those poets. Woo! That's deep pockets. Big spenders, big spenders. (laughs) So so the Iowa City Coffee Shop did. And then I sold that and then made my way to Los Angeles. Okay. I mean, was film your first? Film was always my thing. And, you know, I I, I did a play in San Francisco and I was there. I wrote a play that was produced and... uh, and so the story and 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 film the stories and movies and that was always something I wanted to do. Um, I was just a little apprehensive about Los Angeles um, coming from Iowa. I hadn't spent a lot of time here, and I just said I'm coming. And so I just sold the coffee house, came to LA, and, and then it just kind of took off from there. I, I I lucked out and ran into a woman who worked at DreamWorks at an art gallery down in Venice. And we just kind of hit it off um, from a creative standpoint. And she introduced me to her boss. She said, we're hiring an exec in our in, in the development. And I said, oh, that sounds perfect for me. <laughs> an executive? <laughs> no idea. That's perfect. For, I'm, I'm completely qualified. Right. I've uh, run a uh, coffee shop in Iowa City. <laughs> and, and, and a clothing company on Bali. <laughs> why, so. wouldn't, why wouldn't I be an executive? It's, I love this town. God bless this business. And and I went in and met with the head of development on a uh, on a Friday and uh, Thursday and on Friday afternoon they called me and said welcome to DreamWorks and I started over there it was just crazy. Well, how did this? Okay, getting off the travel thing here. This is more of a business question. Mm-hmm. So they sit down with you in this article in this interview, interview. and they say uh, they you you have no, no experience. Quali- yes, no this. qualifications whatsoever. Well, they liked the fact that I'd written the play. I think I think he had read my play. Okay, and he he liked it. We started. We talked about structure. We talked about movies we liked. So you uh, did have a creative background. Right. It's not like you. And he was the head of development, but he had actually come from New York. He was Harvard guy, but he had been uh, he had been more in, in, in banking, you know, for a while in Wall Street. But before that, he'd been a hand model in New York. <laughs> so I think we sort of like on, on, a, on a social level, we sort of connected. And an eclectic life. Yeah, and he his philosophy was that um, that from life is where good stories come from, not. Um, um, not regurgitating just things you've read. Like experience was valuable to him, which I tend to agree with from a writing standpoint. And so it just kind of worked out. I mean, I think he was taking a chance, you know. Absolutely. But it, but it, but and uh, but it, I think it worked out. We it was a great place to be. So. Well, I'd almost rather have it that way than someone who's just somebody's uh, assistant. Yeah, and then they just hang around and do nothing, right. and then eventually right. their boss gets another job and they move up, right? And they have no life experience outside of that right. office. And I'd only been in town for a few months, so I had no idea that's great. That, that how the what the protocol was. It was like, oh, well, that seems perfectly normal to me. <laughs> yeah, it was a lucky, it was a lucky break. But, but it's still, it's still tough to go working for yourself, and then now you're in this big corporate right. environment, and now you got to take meetings and this kind of stuff. How and it was it, Disney. I mean, it was sorry, it was DreamWorks in the early days too. I mean, this was. This was uh, Prince of Egypt, you know, this was right. 97, 98. I mean, this was, they were just kind of getting their feet wet. They hadn't, they hadn't cracked the code yet on the feature side. You know, they had a big run with American Beauty and Gladiator and, you know, all that stuff, Beautiful Mind that came later. But I was there during the, they were still working it out. You know, there, were, there was, it was, it was an interesting time. There was a lot to figure out there, but um, fits and starts. So that was your intro to the, kind of the film industry and did you go from there and just say "Ah, you know what I'm going to strike out on my own and produce I went to when I went to Disney actually and uh, I had a buddy of mine who was from who was a corporate communications guy at Disney and Disney at the time was getting just hammered for some labor issues at some plush factories I mean so much has changed (laughs) in in Haiti and China 
plush factories. Yeah, like they stuffed, make the yeah, stuffed yeah, animals, like animals and, stuff. and yeah. And I mean, they were subcontract factories, so they didn't own them. But you know, so there were some incidents that occurred there, and um, and so they were just getting killed with uh, you know labor groups and protesters. And so my buddy called me and said, "Hey, you used to." Didn't you used to do some import export out of Bali. You know how to you know something about clothing factories. I know you can write. I know you're I know you're not happy like we're doing what you're doing right now. How about you come over leave the creative side, come over to corporate communications as a consultant and just deal with our labor issue, um, with our, our sweatshop in Haiti issue. in Haiti in China. Oh, in China. Okay. Both places. So oh. I left on a Friday, started on a Monday, dealing with labor issues with um, subcontract manufacturers for Disney. Yeah. Did you go to these actual plants? I, uh, I went to one, um, not China. I went to one, and not Haiti either, as it turned out, but in the Dominican. And, uh, but largely what my role was was just trying to please the, these groups. And then we came up with a... Swiss company who did some independent monitoring. Everybody was happy, and it, and it resolved the issue. Wow. I did that for a year, and then that led into working on a program called the Disney Children's Summit, which is where they fly kids from all over the world to Disneyland Paris and have a big sort of UN-like thing teaching kids about conflict resolution. It's really great. And uh, George uh, Mitchell was our keynote speaker the year I did it. He had just negotiated the IRA, the peace agreement in Northern Ireland, it was cool. And through that, I met the pediatric aides, a couple of those folks, and then they asked me if I wanted to come on board and did that. I was there for five years. Wow. So it was, a, it was not anywhere I ever expected to be, and yet it was an adventure, and it was cool, and it was fun, and I was getting to see things. And I felt like I was also, having worked on you know, a bunch of things that didn't actually take off within the studios. You know, you're developing something for a year and then it just for various myriad, the vagaries of development, it didn't work out. This was me getting to, you know, I, you know, film something on a Monday, edit it, d- done, BBC World puts it up on the air a week <laughs> later. It was, it, was, it, was, it was cool. It was fun and got to see your work actually, something happen. So I like that. So... When you went to Africa for the Pediatric mm-hmm. AIDS Foundation, did they? Was that your first trip to Africa? It was. It was okay, yeah. so give me your first impressions and the job ahead. You must. It must have been overwhelming. First, the first, my first trip ever to Africa. I flew into Kampala, um, Uganda, um, and you you actually fly in about a half an hour from Kampala um, into this other city. I'm blanking on the name of it, Entebbe, I think, um, right on the just a suburb of Kampala. But they have had some problems in Uganda with um, electricity. They're, they're over capacity for their electrical, and they, they get a lot of power from the generators off of the uh, off of the river down the you know down the and um, they had there have been some miscalculations <laughs> along the way. So they have rolling brownouts in in Kampala, and I happened to arrive land on a night where there was no electricity, and I had never been to Africa, and I'm coming I'm driving in this you know taxi. And there's, you know, just bonfires everywhere and people just willy-nilly crossing a dirt road in front of me with torches. And I'm like, you know, oh my <laughs> God, where, where am I? And it was like a time, time warp. And um, it was a big, you know, I'd traveled a bit, Southeast Asia. When I lived on Bali, I traveled all over Southeast Asia because I had to leave the country every four months for my visa. So, oh, right. Um, it was a good excuse to see the, the region. <laughs> so I, was, I wasn't inexperienced in travel, but Africa is a whole different kind of place. Uh, so that was my first, my first impression was, wow, 
You know? Yeah, because I've been through like like you a lot of Southeast Asia, but uh, you know I was only in Cape Town in right, South Africa, right, right. which is kind of like Disney uh, right. Africa. So, what what was the biggest? Difference when you say it was so much a, a different animal. You know, because I've been through like they had rolling brownouts in India when I right. was there, and uh, that was horrible poverty. Right. Yeah, it, 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 it is. The, the, you know, what, the thing about Africa is for for me, and I think India probably. I've spent a very brief amount. I went to Mysore. Um, I was there very briefly for a, the, working for the same organization, a few days. But in Africa, my experience was that everything is just more intense. So for me, the colors are more are more vibrant now, and that and it goes both ways, good and bad. The the smells are more intense. <laughs> yeah. Everything is just intensified by you know a factor of ten. So and also it's it's sort of life um, in the raw, and which I loved because I think this here in the U.S. I mean it's, I love it here, but here in the U.S. more than any other place, we're pretty coddled, and everything's pretty easy. And everything is also, if it's not easy, it's very directed. And there's a lot of layers of security, a lot of layers, a lot there's infrastructure everywhere. And so, you know, you, you there's somebody, there's a voice telling you where to go. There's a line on the ground in Ikea, go left. Now you go right. Now you follow the line. And in Africa, you're just sort of left to your own devices. And, um, you know, I remember standing in, in, in Tanzania Getting on a lunch break, getting ready to go on a safari, and I'm holding my sandwich, my packed lunch, talking to my friends, and my arm just suddenly jerks. And I look, and this giant brown kite, which is like a hawk, had just swooped down and ripped the sandwich out of my hand. <laughs> you gotta be kidding me! And this is the, this is Africa. You 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 have to pay attention all the time. And I think you know we can you can just sort of go into cruise mode here for a really long time and in africa it doesn't allow you to do that you have to pay attention and i like that yeah but it gets exhausting after a while i mean i yeah. go to these countries and it just like you you get back in your hotel room and you just had you got to decompress almost i mean new york even has that yes, a little bit of, it it, it's just like a sensory overload it and is. you're on your guard all the time and i think you know it's the you know and, and it's the luxury i always had the luxury even if i was going to be there for weeks at a time it was there was an end date you know, and I knew I was going to be leaving that and coming back to Los Angeles where I could do just that. I could just decompress. And the people who live there obviously don't have that luxury. Mm -hmm. So it's a, you know, it's a, it's a different, it's a, it's an interesting place. It's an amazing place. The people are phenomenal. Um, I spent the most time in Uganda and I really liked the people there a lot. I also spent a lot of time, my, 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 in, for, in terms of traveling in Africa, my sort of major rule of traveling in Africa is to fly into those big cities, the Dar es Salaams, the the um, Lagos, and all, all these places. all those places, you know, the um, even Kampala, or and would be to you get in and then you immediately get out of the big cities because there's not a lot of interesting things happening in those big cities, and what's amazing in Africa usually happens in you know in the margins and it happens in those smaller communities. You know, I was shooting documentaries in a place called Kabale, which is down on the Rwandan, Congolese, um, uh, Ugandan, that, that corner, tiny little area. And I was in these small villages, and the people are amazing, you know. And they're not, it's just a different Africa. I mean, it's not, not so different from flying into, you know, if you're from somewhere else, flying into Brooklyn, you know, or, or and then going to small town Wisconsin. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's not that much different. Or checking out a nice coffee shop in Iowa City. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's much different. And it's sitting for seven hours. <laughs> exactly. Um, 
Yeah, I, I kind of say the same thing about... Uh, I looked at India a different way after I got out of the cities. And once we got out into the country, it was like, oh, this is so much nicer. Right. Yeah. Um, is, was there sections of Africa that when you tell people who are thinking about visiting that you really recommend, you say, you got you to gotta go to this place? Um, you know, I, I, Tanzania was amazing. Um, did you do Kilimanjaro? I did. Oh, uh, I want to do that. I did. And, and that, that's very, very cool. I also did, you know, it's, it's a great spot if you're, if you're a, a sort of a novice traveler too, but you want to do Africa, Tanzania, there's, there is infrastructure. They've had people coming in doing safaris for a long time, photo safaris, you know, for a long time. And you can fly into Arusha. It's a nice little international airport. And then, you know, you really want to see the big five. You get the people who, you know, they really want to see the rhino. They want to see the lions. They want to see elephants. You can drive, you know, you take a day trip up to Ngoro Ngoro Crater, which is a oh, giant I heard so much about that. volcano. And, you know, for some reason, you know, hundreds or thousands of years ago, you know, hordes of animals to have just climbed, you know, went up to the, the rim of this crater and then descended down into it. And there's an entire ecosystem living inside this dormant volcano with all of the big five you got wildebeests and lions and cheetahs and leopards and everything and it's uh it's like a it's you've got these giant you know caldera walls surrounding you so you drop down in and in an afternoon you have a pretty good shot of seeing everything and then you leave there and you want to go and say a five-day safari into the serengeti which is right next to it you know, Serengeti is enormous, and it's a little more catch as catch can. You know, the anim- you got to go find them, and you might just catch a glimpse of a tail running through the grass. But <laughs> if, if you really are, you know, committed to seeing these things, a day at the Angora Angora will will pretty much guarantee some good animal sightings. Now, give me your uh, scariest incidents in Africa. Uh, well, I was in it was in that corner of um, Uganda, and it was raining one night. And we were driving back from a village where we'd been doing some work, and I had a driver who was employed by the organization I was working for, who was not happy with me that we had it was dark. Um, we we even operated under certain guidelines that we weren't supposed to be <laughs> driving around in these small roads at night. And it was raining, and there was a nun on the side of the road. And I, I said to my wife that we should stop and pick her up. And he was like, "No, no, no, no." And I'm like, "Come on, man! It's a, it's a nun. We got you, you got It's raining. It's you know, it's it's a good few miles to the town." And he's like, "It's not you know, not a good idea." And I, so as we pulled over to pick her up, we were very close, by the way, to the Congolese border, where there was a lot of people crossing. There was a lot of bad on the other side of that border. A lot of very bad things were happening. Um, and this nun, from under her habit, suddenly I saw the, the barrel of a, of a rifle coming out. And there wasn't a nun. It was a guy with a habit on and a skirt. And my driver, he, he hit the accelerator and we peeled out of there. Oh, my and God. That was it. And, and I'm sure there were – she had some – you know, some fellas in the, he had some fellas hiding in the ditch that were going to pop up at any moment and they were just going to take the truck, you know, Wow. and do God knows what to us. But yeah, that was, that was a little unnerving. Yeah. <laughs> what about dealing with uh, government red tape and bribes and that kind of thing? You know, the people we dealt with, um, with the ministries of health and folks were great pretty much across the board. We dealt with, we had, you know, we had the foundation that I was working for had made, had been there for a while. And so they had good relationships and, and I didn't see a lot of that, um, you know, on, on a very small, on a one-on-one level, of course, there's times you got to, 
you got to um, grease the wheels a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but on on a on a macro level, I never I I didn't experience a lot of that. But sure, you know you can you know pay for a little bit of this, or maybe they they have a reservation but they're not sure. And there's things you got to do sometimes. <laughs> sure. In the five years of of working in Africa for pediatric AIDS, did you see a giant or some kind of movement in progress of the way they think about it in education and in some places sure in some places i mean in some countries you had some um you know in zimbabwe of course with robert mugabe was there you know he, he's, oh, that guy. he's a piece of work and uh you know he, he you know he he had you know extended family members selling um sort of you know like juice formulas that he had they were guaranteeing with a government endorsement would guarantee right. you to cure you of aids and so people like that were of course seriously making the effort more difficult for other people um but in some of the countries you had enlightened leaders who recognized that whatever they thought about um, AIDS or, or, or whatever the societal stigmas were they recognized peers from an economic standpoint that something needed to be done. And so, um, and like I said, some countries are more progressive than others. But overall, you, you, you've started to see, a sh- you know, most of those places, you've started to see a positive shift. Still a lot of stigma in a lot of those countries as well. And that is, that's difficult. And there's a lot of crazy stories. Misinformation is... Oh my is, gosh. When know. I was in South Africa, there was, I remember seeing a story that they were, they thought that uh, there was a... A large group of people thought that if, if you had sex with a virgin, yes, yeah, you weren't going to get, or that would cure you. It would cure you, yeah. Oh. I mean, horrible. And that, of course, leads to some really awful things happening. I mean, it's, a, and that's the kind of stuff that, as a communications person, you know, dealing with things over there, you know, made me crazy. And that was a big part of our role was to try to educate, and that we we tried to do as much of that as possible. Did it just get overwhelming after a while? Sometimes, sometimes. But, you know, when I started over there, just to give you an example, um, there were about 1,500 kids a day contracting HIV globally with a a huge percentage of them in Africa, sub-Saharan Africa. And I think when I stopped, when I left the foundation, it was was under 1,000, maybe around 1,000, which is still obviously way too much. That's a that's a massive improvement over a few years. And so the trend is definitely going in the right direction. So after five years, did you figure, okay, I've done what I could do here and back to movies? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, it was, it was, I came, I, you know, I sort of also realized I, I had, that's a pretty good chunk of time. It is. And I had done that and I enjoyed it. But I also, you know, I wanted, um, that was that was working for a nonprofit, I was, which was amazing, and I, you know, I made a living there. But I also, Darren needed some for-profit time, <laughs> and um, and also you, you know, there's you, you do that for a while, but you also then you want to make make some some money, and anyway, and then you can you can give back to those causes you care about in other ways, you mm-hmm. can support them financially or whatever. But um, and I also wanted to tell stories, you know, and I in and being in Africa and being in other places and. Even going down to Mexico and doing with that with the organization and 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 traveling through South America too. Also, there were you know I, I saw a lot of stories and it gave me a lot of ideas. And you want to take those and distill those down into something that you can maybe tell on a bigger level. And like some of the other companies and you know there's great organ companies like Participant and people doing some really cool stuff here. That they've also you know and Redford even said years and years ago the greatest you know tool for social change. You know he really thought thinks film is that amazing tool you move people emotionally and this this affects them and moves them intellectually and by action and i think 
Um, I'm not trying to state that the things, all the things I would want to work on are things that would be of social conscious, socially conscious, pro, you know, films or projects. I love a good Western. I love a good sci-fi movie. I love, but there's elements of those things that you can build into all those stories too. So, so what year did you come back and start working as an independent filmmaker? Um, just a, just a couple of years ago. Okay. I mean, really, this is a, this is a relatively new thing for me. What I did, and what really made the the decision was, I also looked around, and I, all my friends are producers, writers, directors. You know, that's my whole peer group. And I looked around, and I, all the guys that I sort of came up with, and who were already here ahead of me, um, I'm like, well, so and so is now running this company, and so and so is now running this. I left, but they stayed, and they've all done pretty well. I'm like, well. This would be, it'd be a lot easier to submit my projects when my friend is now running that company. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, this, so stepping into the making that shift was a lot easier when you, when you had a pretty good social group of friends who were also encouraging me to do it, who, who felt that it would be a, that was a good role for me to try to, try to take. So, well, what were some of the movies that maybe people have heard of that could, you know, see some of your work? Well, there. I'm shooting. I'm actually shooting our for shooting our first movie this summer. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why did I think you were in? Well, you. For I was the Dubrovnik Festival. You brought a film there. Didn't you? I no, I brought some talent there. Uh, oh, some talent there. Okay. I'm doing my first. We're shooting our first feature in uh, New York this summer. Um, um, in July, I'll be out there all summer. It'll be great. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Well, tell me about the projects you've done in in Europe because I know you're you're there all the time. I'm work. We uh, we just got back. We were in um, on a great travel trip with um, my producing partner and a couple of other guys. We went over to. We're doing a project in Portugal and in Hungary, based on a book called Indomitable Will, which was a bestseller in Norway, Hungary, and Portugal. Three huge markets. Um, and uh, <laughs> it's a mid-century. It's about an aristocratic family from Budapest who obviously suffered under the Nazis and then suffered much worse under the Russians and had to, you know, were, they were sentenced to death and had to cut some crazy deals and they basically fled to Portugal and were welcomed by Portugal. And it's sort of a love story about um, a guy that I used to work with at Disney, actually. <laughs> That's where this thing came from. When I was at Disney, he was president of Disney Iberia, which was Disney State Bain in Portugal. And we kept in touch over the years. And uh, and it's his mother's book. Oh wow! And it's a true story. And so he said, "Would you want to produce this?" And I said, "Absolutely." And so we just went on this crazy trip. We were looking at sites and meeting with. Uh, we have you know some support from the government. We have some support from the, um, some private the Hungarian government or the Portuguese. Both. Oh, because it's a culturally relevant story for both places. And we have support from some of the private banks and stuff over there. And then there, you know, it's a story that's really kind of important to those two countries and. They've been really, and Laszlo's family is well known. His grandfather was a very well known composer, and so there's been a lot of support, a wonderful amount of support. We went over there to meet some of those folks, but we took a crazy trip. We were doing press and things, and we <laughs> went. We were in Lisbon, and then we flew to um, Budapest, and then um, my producing partner and I were up in Latvia. Wow, in See, I haven't made it up there. Uh, great place. Yeah, a little. We did, you know, not exactly look at the climate calendar. We were there in March. Oh. It was a yeah, a little bit little chilly. chilly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I maybe would recommend spring, but uh, but a beautiful place, right on the water, and a lovely lovely place. Is it true what they say that the women are amazingly gorgeous in Estonia? Uh, 
absurd. <laughs> yeah, 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 absurd. There's I know a, a lot of models coming from there. There are a lot of models coming from there. I, I will say there's there was a, somebody a guy we had we we hired this guy who's in a he was in a punk band called Morning Glory, and uh, and he also ran for parliament in Latvia. He was this crazy like. 28-year-old guy with a handlebar mustache. And he was telling us that in Latvia, in Riga particularly, they have an expression. They refer to their, maybe their less attractive girls as crocodiles. And I said, crocodiles? I said, well, I don't know. I would. He said, well, he said, if, if you took the beautiful women of the world and put them on an island, even our, our crocodiles would eat all of the other women of the world. So even <laughs> yeah. their, even their, what they consider their, so that yes, there are a lot of beautiful yeah, women. And they know it. Oh, that's great. And it's, it, 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 yeah, it's an amazing place. <laughs> but the people are really lovely. They have a good education system there. So you run into these people at the bake shop who speak, you know, six languages. It's just amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Do you find that uh, these former Eastern Bloc countries that I saw a little bit of it, it's, there's still that, uh, transition that they're making from a to a service-based industry right, right. there is some uh, that, like yeah. and coming from 50 years of uh this is what we have shut up and take it sure so they're still sure. learning how to like and there's a, and it's you a, know you have to smile sometimes with your customers uh, there's, a, there's a big it's a big generational thing you know, is, I, yeah. I lived in poland for four months uh not last year but the year before and I traveled a lot in Poland. And I was in Krakow. I loved it. Krakow is a beautiful city. Yeah, beautiful. And uh, I spent a lot of time there. I was just there in March. And it was great. Uh, there's a film studio in, in Krakow that we're doing some work with. Um, and uh, But yes, there's a big generational difference. So you've got a shop owner whose son has now taken, or daughter has taken over the business, who's, you know, 20s, 30s. And they, they're, it's, you're fully in a, you're full, it's full Europe. It's very European. If you're if if the shop owner is 60s, 70s, it may be a little more Russian, a um, little more Eastern. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's a it, there is a distinction for oh, sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, but I love Budapest. That was Beautiful. one of my favorite so, yeah, uh, cities city. of the of this whole trip I took. Great place, and 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 a place that is just from a filmmaking standpoint is exploding. Oh yeah, are, are they giving lots of benefits big, and stuff? Like you tax get, you breaks get a, and stuff. Twenty five percent back, so it's a, it's a nice credit. But they've also got you know Raleigh Studios here in LA. Yeah. They have a, they have a full studio in Budapest, and there's there's three major studios over there, and they've got great crews. And, and they did Die Hard Four over there, and they're doing Hercules right now, um, big you know huge production with The Rock and. Um, what are the major differences with working with a, a film crew in Europe as opposed to a film crew here? Uh, well, the, the language, of course, is an issue. I have not shot, you know, in some of the other, you know, people shoot in, in Bucharest and Romania. And they, Bulgaria has been, they've been shooting there for years. And um, I have not done any work over there. I've been to a couple, I've been to those places. But, you know, some, you have some of the crews there who their English ability isn't as good. So you're you're having to go through an intermediary even on even for a very granular need and i think that can maybe slow things down um hung, hungary um you know the, the english um language english uh, ability was pretty high and and particularly and say anyone under you know 40 yeah. has got a pretty high level of proficiency in english same with poland and some of the other places what about the technical skill I mean, they're they right seem, up there? With? Yeah, they seem great. I mean, in fact, you know, in, in outside of Krakow, there's a film studio we're doing some stuff with that um, it's a new studio and it's, it's like the most cutting edge place I've ever seen. Um, so 
it's they, they're really they're, it's really a place on the rise. I, I was amazed at uh, I didn't know much about Budapest and Hungary in their in their past, but I went to the Terror Museum. There. Yes, the Museum of Terror. Museum yeah. of Terror. I said, yes. first of all, the name you might want to you might want to work that a little bit. Um, what I learned from the you know they went through the war. You know, so they're coming up through the twenties. They're in a you know a pretty uh, I guess it would be an oppressive government of their own. Mm-hmm. They side with the Germans, probably mistake number two in this. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> and then when the Russians come, you know, they were looking for real payback, worse were, than the they, Nazis. They were, they were brutal. I yeah, mean, they were really brutal. You know, they, 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 they just, they just came in, they came in like a tornado, and, and still sent people away to camps and yeah, the whole thing. Lots of executions, lots of people disappeared, lots of property confiscated. I mean, um, the family that were Laszlo is the gentleman's name for the who's the son of this family. You know, they had um, thousands and thousands of acres of land and huge palaces. These these sort of country estates. They were just the Russians just took them. They had you know Picassos and Turners and these art collection all gone. You know, and the family is even now in 2013 working with these companies to try to repatriate some of that stuff that was just lost in time um it's amazing and they you know it's amazing so it wasn't it wasn't you know it wasn't just limited to the jewish families during that time oh yeah no Plaza, you know there were it was the aristocrats the you know if you had if you weren't a worker if you weren't a guy who worked in the fields or whatever you were considered sort of a threat you were an you know, part of the you were thinking you're educated folk yeah we can't have the thinkers right the thinkers yeah. are the first people they come that's, for that's right <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was a, it was tough times for sure, yeah, and that yeah. was, you know not just Hungary, but that whole region was tough. And Lisbon, I liked a lot. Beautiful, and yeah. Lisbon is an interesting, fascinating place. The hotel that we stayed in when we were just over there it is the Palazzo in Estoril, which is the beach community just outside of Lisbon. About, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is sort of like Malibu to West Hollywood. It's sort of the sun-kissed, uh, ritzy coast, Gold Coast there, and uh, that hotel was you know, Ian Fleming wrote books there that was but it, during after world war ii lisbon became a hotbed of um these aristocrats who had fled their central european countries from the soviets and ended up in in lisbon it was the, this hotel was filled with counts and dukes i mean you know <laughs> and these 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 folk and and also spies tons of spies ian fleming lived there for a long time because it was it was just a hotbed of of um, uh, espionage. I mean, some crazy stories. You could do a movie on that hotel. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, <laughs> trust me, we, there are things in the works. <laughs> things in the works. Yeah, yeah. I have a friend who has a house in is Keshkesh. Is yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Which is the next the next town from Estoril. They're right next to one. Okay. Though. Yeah. I'm thinking. Of, it's I like got, Palisades in Malibu. Yes. Yeah. I have to hit him up this summer. I gotta see. Did you get down to the Algarve? I, 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 I'm, that's my, my I'm going back I'm probably going back next month actually mm-hmm. and uh, one of our, um, our partners over there is really wants me to see it it was raining a lot when we were there it just happened to be bad luck and so he wants me to see it when it's in its full bloom and uh, there's a place called Comporto which is south of Lisbon which I have not seen but it apparently is just amazing do you find Eastern Europe and these former Soviet bloc countries in a way, I find them almost uh, more exciting than old Europe, um, yeah. you know, like Western Europe. Oh, for, I, I, for because sure. Because it's just, it's just so new to them. Everything's just so 
For the future sure. looks so bright to them. For sure. And there's a lot of enthusiasm and there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of looking forward as opposed to looking backward. And, um, um, you know, I mean, obviously, I mean, Spain is one of my favorite places in the world. Yeah, me too. I love it there. And, and, I, and I love, I, you know, Paris is Paris. But, yeah, there's something about, you know, there's an excitement. When I was living in Warsaw for four months, I had an apartment on Yana Pavoa with John Paul, the named after the Pope, which is sort of their main thoroughfare cutting through the city, sort of their Wilshire. <laughs> and uh, I was on the 11th floor building of this apartment. And from my balcony, I could look out and just see these giant cranes through all, all over the city of Warsaw, just building, 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 because there's so much money coming into Warsaw for building. I mean, they were the, the, only, the only country in, I think, 11, they, they had the highest growth in their GDP, you know, they're, 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 the rest of the country was, the union was stagnant, was suffering, and they were flying. So, and that's not just Poland, it's that region, and there's a lot of interesting things happening over there. What would you say would be the craziest thing, whether in Africa or Europe or anywhere else in the world or Asia, that you ate? Oh, <laughs> you have to look back. And go, I can't believe I put that in my mouth. Well, I'll tell you something. This is this is a weird little story. But when I was living on Bali, um, there was a guy who owned a nightclub near my house in Seminyak that nobody ever went to. His name was Eddie. And he was Chinese-Indonesian. And he, I would stop there for a drink on my way home at night just because it was near my house. But there was never anybody there. And he said, you know, Darren, you know, why is nobody coming to my... That's the worst <laughs> Indonesian accent. Why is no one coming to my place? Flawless, flawless accent. And I said to him that because, you know, that the lighting is horrible, the drinks are horrible, everything's horrible in this place. You just, you made, you have bad taste across the board. <laughs> no, but really, Darren, what do you think? <laughs> and so he, he said, look, I'll, he goes, if you want to just give me, let, let's help me make some changes. And he knew I was friendly with the expat community. And I went, essentially, I guess, kind of became a very impromptu promoter. Yeah. And so one night a week, I would just say to everybody, come over to this bar. And um, so six months in, it was, it, was, it was kind of going. He kind of turned it around a little bit, and he was, thanked me. And he had, an, he had an apartment above the bar, which he just, he just did for convenience sake. And he, he said, come upstairs. And I went upstairs. And he, was, he, he had some interesting ties to the, he was kind of an underworld sort of okay. a bar owner figure. He, he always made me a little nervous. Uh, and he said, I want to share something with you. I want to thank you for all this help that you've given me. And I said, okay. And he went over to this shelf and he pulled this jar off the shelf and it was covered in a silk cloth. And he said, we're going to share something now and this will make us brothers. And I'm like, oh God. You know, what? That's always scary. <laughs> yeah. And I'm looking at my watch and it's, I got to get up early. And he pulls. This is going to make us brothers. Somehow, there's there's some kind of bodily fluid and involved. And there's this here. murky brown liquid in this thing, and he gets the thing out and he pours into a glass. And I said, "Well, he's a, just drink it." And he drank some, and and he handed it to me, and I, it smelled horrible. I could smell the smell of alcohol. There was something. I drank it, and it was maybe the worst thing I've ever tasted in my life. And I said, "You know, I was coughing, and I'm like, I'm, what? What was that?" And he said, "Well, seven years ago, I was deer hunting on Java." And uh, this deer was pregnant, and I cut the fetus out of it, put it in this jar. It's been fermenting for seven years, and then I filled it with Chinese medicine and special powders, and this is a sacred drink. And now we've shared it. And I held this jar up to the light, and inside this murky jar was a tiny little fermenting deer fetus. (laughs) 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 That is – that's – Probably certainly the worst thing I've ever tasted oh, in my life. Yeah. Wow. I mean I'm still alive. But not many people can say they drank deer fetus. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, so if you could compare it to a taste, what what was it? Chicken. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's always chicken. No, it was really one of the worst things I've ever tasted in my life. <laughs> it was it was truly, truly awful. I mean, no amount of whatever he had, Jack Daniels. I don't know what he had in there that was the alcohol. No amount of Jack Daniels could cover up the taste. That was <laughs> this might explain why the business was not doing so well. Right. He should have stopped serving that right. at the bar. <laughs> right. Did, uh, did you ever pick up any... Are you good with languages? Uh, I speak I speak a fair amount of Indonesian still. I mean, I haven't been there in more than a decade plus, but I, I still am pretty good. I, I mean, not that long ago, I was at Ralph's down the street, you know, a big grocery store here in L.A., and I was in the... Uh, and, and I never get to use my Indonesian, ever, you know, so it's a... <laughs> yeah, I mean... It's a great... It's not exactly, you know, Chinese yeah. or Japanese. Yeah, we could really use Spanish around here. Right. That's- I thought I was going to come back from Indonesia having knowing how to speak Indonesian, and I was going to be in demand. <laughs> It didn't exactly take off, but um, <laughs> I was in the express lane at Ralph's, and the you know twelve items or less were, and there was an Indonesian girl and her boyfriend behind me, and she said to her boyfriend in Indonesian, "I think this jerk's got, he's got more than twelve items," and it was so fantastic, was perfect. I, I was wanted to, to turn and say, you know, I think I actually I have exactly, but if you're in a hurry, please go ahead, and then watch both of their faces just turn crimson. It was, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's a little, it's the little this things. This white guy knows Indonesian. <laughs> So it's this. It's the small place. Yeah, boy, boy, you beg for times like that that you could actually yeah. use it. Yeah. And, I, and I speak a little bit of Polish, but Polish is tough. Polish so, is tough. Really tough. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? Haven't uh, any uh, Croatian or anything like that? Did... When I, you know, I, when I was, I was back and forth a bit. You know, around two oh seven and and oh eight, I was going back and forth a little more with Croatia. And I picked up a little bit there. It's also a little tricky, easier than Polish for sure. Yeah. But, um, was African the uh, in Africa was the uh, go to English all the time? Uh, English, yeah, everybody speaks. English. I know not everybody, but uh, well, French would help down there too. I French think. certainly in some places over in Cote d'Ivoire, I was there, and that's that's oh, all you did French. Go. Yeah, it seems yeah. so dangerous. To uh, me. Well, you don't want to go when I was there in oh five or six. It wasn't a good idea to have a camera crew with you. They they that was a. That was a big red flag, yeah. But uh, yeah, it was a, it, that place has always got something going on. Uh, Mozambique is a beautiful place. That's they speak, you know, Portuguese. Oh right, right, right. Um, which is a that's a beautiful country, you know. And that's a, that's another place that I think should be high on anybody's list to visit. You know, they had civil war. They had crazy bad stuff happening there not that many years ago. I mean, it's ten years ago, I guess, at this point. Um, but they've completely come back from that, you know, and they've. The animal populations and their game parks have come back. It's and, and then you've got this. It's just one long coastline. It's it's fantastic, great. Okay, traveling throughout any of these places. Give me your worst, say, flight story or uh, train story or something like that. Um, I've had I've had I've had you know falling asleep on a train a couple times in Europe. <laughs> had to wake up to someone you know a hand sliding and reaching for a bag kind of situation. You can't lock those compartments. No. So. Because um, some of these African planes and these companies, you know, you'll get uh, in a twin engine thing that dates back to like the Eisenhower era. And, oh, oh uh, my God! We, I, you know, I was in, I was in uh, the Serengeti with my uh, then my ex girlfriend from a few years ago. We were um, way up in the way, way, way north of the Serengeti um, on the Mara River, and we, we had gone to a, a mobile camp. So we were way up there, and we wanted to get back down to another part. Of it. We were flying to Zanzibar. And we needed to get back to Arusha. And so instead of taking two days to drive, because it takes forever, we had commissioned a small, you know, four-person plane to pick a six-person plane to pick us up on a just, it's just a 
it's not a, not even a dirt runway. They can't even maintain a dirt runway. It's just grass <laughs> that occasionally gets chewed up. I, I don't know. And middle of nowhere. And our driver, our guide, um, said, yes, 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 I know where this is, and then didn't. And so we got there very late, and our plane just it, it saw that we weren't there, and it just took off because they just come just for you, and then you're not there. They leave. And so we're just sitting in the middle of nowhere in the Serengeti, standing in this grass runway for a long time. And they, he called, and they said, okay, we'll come back in a couple hours. So we're waiting, and while we're standing, my ex and I are just sort of standing on this grassy airport with our bag. Um, we see a lion just walking you know, across the 30 feet in front of us, comes out of the tall grass and walks. <laughs> and then we decided to get back in the... <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And wait. Um, so yeah, it's from crazy. It's just a, it's just a whole different a whole different thing. <laughs> I spent a night in a mental institution in Sorrento, Italy. That was our taxi driver. Um, I think making some extra money. It was a rainy night. Had told us that it was a it, we, there were no rooms at hotels in or next to the train station. I was young. This I was twenty years old. And I said, Do you know any place where we can spend the night? And he goes, Of course, of course. I take you. I take you. And took this place. And it was this you know like lightning and rain and a house on a hill. And uh, we went in, and they we got into our room, and uh, I was with a female friend of mine, and they put us in room. It seemed a little institutional, <laughs> yeah. but um, they put it. Especially when said, they tied you to the bed, and they said, and she said, "Oh, I, when the door will, it's a self-locking door, so it's going to lock when I shut it. If you need anything, you're going, you just buzz me." I'm like, "Wait, so wait a minute, we're locked in? It had a little window." I mean, in the middle of the night, we rubber heard, walls. There nice. were people making very strange noises, and in the morning, we realized they we were, they were just making a little extra money a night, renting out rooms to wayward travelers. It was a mental institution. (laughs) Sorrento, Italy. Charming, charming Sorrento, Italy. So uh, to wrap it up, give me your your top travel destinations for people when you describe to it. Say your your top three in Asia, top three in Africa, top three Europe. Uh, I, I love Bali, um, certainly. I spent, I mean, it's special to me because I was young and I lived there for a couple of years and the people in Bali are amazing. Um, unlike any place else in the world, they're not Muslim uh, like the rest of Indonesia, which is the largest Muslim country in the world. They're Hindu, animist. It's like a special thing that's only in Bali. I love Vietnam. Uh, I love the yeah, food. Me too. And Vietnam's amazing. Um, you know, I, I would love to go to Myanmar uh, now that it's now that it's open. Right. I'd like to go see it, um, just because I have a friend who went over there recently, and he said it. You know, it's like it's like going to the early '60s or mid '60s, which just the time warp factor on that would be interesting. And I know it's uh, that government. Um, you know, it's still a question mark, um, more than a question mark, probably, but. You know, I think people going there is also what will continue to move the needle on that. So, um, but I love Vietnam a lot. It's a great place. Um, and Europe, you would say you would keep it toward. Uh, well, it's. I mean, you got to hit the. You got to hit Paris and. You know, and I love the big ones. Barcelona. You know, I love the architecture. I love the beach. I mean, it's it's a stunning city, and the people are phenomenal. Um, but I really do. I like Central Europe a lot. I feel very comfortable there. And like Budapest is a great town. I mean, yeah, people. Love, I've been pushing it since I got back. It's great. People love Prague, which I also. You know, I mean, my my family's roots are from there. Long, you know, a few generations ago. But I and I love it there. It's like a postcard as well. But I would pick Krakow over Prague. And I. And I and I love Krakow a lot. It's just and it was you know it's a beautiful city. The people are very friendly, and you know I mean I mean Poland's got a special place because I've spent a lot of time there. But um, yeah, that whole region is just terrific. And finally, Africa. I know it's got this stigma, 
you know, around the world and, and there's a lot of fear about going there. How do you talk people into going, no, it's, it's okay. You can, you can do it. I mean, I think, I think it's, it's, I do think it's safe. I do think it's beautiful. Um, and you know, I, my philosophy on that is a little bit, I'm a little bit of a fatalist on that too. I mean, we do live in Los Angeles. I feel like, you know, people are always worried. Well, what about, oh, it seems so scary over there. I'm like, well, I feel like there's there's as much of an opportunity for something weird to happen to me here in LA as there is in Cape Town, or certainly, or in Kampala. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, you know, people, isolated incidents get news sometime, and, you know, oh, an American, something happened in, in, uh, in um, Dar es Salaam or something. But I mean... How many times a day does something happen in a city here? I I I'm, I don't think it's the case. Zanzibar over there is just one of the most amazing places I've ever been. Um, it's a little island off the coast of Tanzania, and um, they, you know, it's also a place where there's been Muslim. You know, the, the Sultan of Oman controlled that place forever. So you've had a big Muslim population. You've got a big um, um, African sort of tribal thing going on there still. There's a lot of um, uh, the Maasai still there, which they're amazing. And then you've got sort of the Europeans, and for hundreds of years, they've managed to work out a very elegant system for getting along without a lot of conflict mm-hmm. there. I Meaning once they got rid of the whole slave thing. Oh, yeah. Was, well, that, <laughs> that was, little problem. It was a bit of that. But it's a beautiful <laughs> place, and maybe um, maybe the softest sand, uh, it's like talcum powder there. So as a small-town kid from Iowa... <laughs> who goes out around the uh, around the world? How is it? How has all this travel changed you as a person, and how does it make you look at the world uh, today? That's a good question. I, I see the world. Um, the world's a lot smaller. You know, when I I think when I was a kid, being a little bit isolated in Iowa, um, my great family, but my family are uh, historically not big travelers internationally. We did a lot. I mean, I grew up. Um, doing a lot of National Lampoon road trip. Yeah, we did that. You know, vacation station. Oh, we made wagon. the Griswold trip out here to yeah. California. Yeah. Oh, that was. Yeah. I, we did. We did those trips a lot. I mean, so do we, yeah. my dad was very big on you know large balls of twine and things mm-hmm. like that. AM radio. Yeah. No air conditioning. Yeah. Did it. Yeah, that's sure. Route sixty six kind of. <laughs> but you know, but I love that stuff. I love. I love a good road trip. Now you know, I'll drive. I you know, I love driving over to Monument Valley. You know, and uh, or passing the Grand Canyon on the way and hitting, you know, the cliff dwellings up in Mesa Verde. I, I love that stuff. I'm a big national park guy here in the U.S. I, mean, I love that stuff. And it always amazes me when I go to national parks here that I'm usually the only American there. It's always, you know... Isn't that amazing? From everywhere else in the world except here. <laughs> but uh, the amazing stuff, you know. Um, so I, I, I... But I think that put... I had that wonderlust from an early age, for sure. And I was always... Wanting, I always wanted to see and go and see other places. And I think, um, you know, for me, a lot of the work I do is... is it used to be that the work would fuel the, fuel the travel, and now it's as much the other way the travel is fueling the work in a lot of ways which is a really it's a great transition to make so do you look at the human condition in a way when you see things when you hear about the the global warming or or lack of water or lack of food in places around the world does it make you positive about where the world is headed or negative I, i never know which way to go i mean i know more about it more that i travel right but i, I don't want to get 
It's tough. Negative. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's I tough. think people want the same things all over the world. I think we're, we're very alike in a lot of ways. I think we're very alike in a lot of ways. And, the, and there's these are sort of some very primal um, human wants and needs that are sort of that are universal. And yeah, I mean, it's it is frustrating sometimes to see. see oh, you wonder if ing- ignorance is bliss or something. You, sometimes, I mean, I, I, it's a funny thing. I remember I was on Bali when I was. It was a, I was a kid. I was you know I was twenty two. I think twenty three. I was you know sort of backpacking through. I was in Sumatra. I think it was in the middle of nowhere, and I'm way back up somewhere, and um, I was wearing like an ecot vest like a local thing you know and some like some pants that were made you know i was looking i would look like i was a very you know indo looking guy i was young and tan and walking and i meet this kind of old guy walking down the road and he's wearing coming out of the village he's a villager coming out of a bun like a little you know a little village but he's wearing a Madonna t-shirt and jeans and we sort of meet each other on this road and kind of look at each other and kind of give each other the once over and we both just start laughing and just keep walking <laughs> and and that's I don't know that's just it's I, I, we're all looking for the same things and we're also looking for that other thing I think no matter right. yeah. and the internet has really even made it even smaller it really world. really has yeah. it's I think changed it's, everything one, one of the reasons I, I decided to leave Bali when I was living there was I did get a little bit of island fever living there I mean I had um, I did have I had an early I had a Apple power book early generation and you know, had probably had like a 30 megabyte hard drive sure. or something sure little dial up internet yeah. <laughs> and we used to you know it was so it was it was about a dollar a minute to call yeah the US and I was I had family and friends here and so what we would do is we would write letters to each other and then fax them to each other and then read them and then <laughs> fax right back that was the way to save money but you know and email was very rudimentary at that point AOL was starting but it wasn't common but I'm thinking now, you know, I, I, I had friends bringing me books when they would come over because I could, I, you know, all I had were tra- tourist bookstores. It was all, you know, Daniel Steele and Tom Clancy. And, <laughs> um, but now, you know, I could watch Netflix. I could watch the latest movies. I could download this. I could keep up with music. I could Amazon. I could, you know, the world's a very different place now. And, and, I, and I think that's great. I mean, it, it allows me to work, you know, remotely. Um, but it's also, um, you know, I fear, you know, one of the things coming from Iowa and doing those road trips, what I loved about the road trips was, and being on those Route 66, was seeing, you know, the local restaurants and the local spin on things, the dialect and the voices and the and the meter of speech and the, the, food, the types of food. And one of the changes moving away from the sort of Route 66 two-lane highways to the interstates is everything looks the same? Yeah, you know, that's it's all. That's the toughest part about going through America. It's all the same. It's you know, it's all the same. It's same six restaurants. The same six. There's the Applebee's next to the Taco Bell, next to the Walmart, next. To, yeah. And it's and it's and I and I it's and I, you know I, and it's it's to me that's a little depressing because you're losing that flavor and that character, and I hope that doesn't happen on an international level as well. You know, uh, I mean, um, some countries have done a really good job of keeping that to a minimum and keeping the big franchises out or at least keeping them in isolated areas and some places have just you know gone for the buck and made some sort of myopic choices about it but yeah so what's next for you and what uh, would you like to plug if you'd like to plug anything <laughs> um well, it's certainly our project over in, in Europe, Indomitable Will, which, which probably will undergo a name change. <laughs> um, and then this, uh, the movie we'll be doing this summer in New York, we're going to be shooting, which will be great, with uh, 
with some some uh, big stars, and uh, it'll be it'll be fun. It'll be shooting in, in New York. It's going to be called Squirrels to the Nuts. And, uh, <laughs> I like it. Peter Bogdanovich. Um, oh wow! Is directing it, and he wrote it, and uh, it's his first film in a number of years. And obviously, Last Picture Show and Paper Moon yes. and What's Up Doc and. And it's a great script, and it should be a lot of fun. And it's a you know a fun, intelligent screwball comedy set in Manhattan, so it should be fun. Well, that's great, Darren. This has been a pleasure, man. I really appreciate you coming by. Yeah, it's been great, Darren Dushan, everybody. <laughs>